This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. I'm Mike Simpson. And we, of course, are here to talk about what else? The coronavirus pandemic. Sometimes we need a break from all the bad news. So hopefully you're sitting back relaxing on this Labor Day. We're still a little curious, though, about what's going on, which is why we're going to give you a best of in case you missed some of the more interesting aspects of what's been happening to all of us lately. We're going to get into generational warfare, then review if this pandemic will help us prepare for the next one, which could be much, much worse. We are doing a lot of cleaning now. We've all stocked up on supplies, bleach and whatnot. But is it really making a difference or is it just theater hygiene, hygiene theater? If you took a trip this weekend or maybe you're returning home from a trip, maybe think twice about letting everyone know about it. Travel shaming, that's a real thing. Where have you been and did you take any pictures? (laughs) Let's start with the war between the generations. Millennials, Gen Zers, frustrated for being blamed by the baby boomers for spreading this. Sion Leah Bylock, president of Barnard College at Columbia University, explain what's sparking the war. Well, I think we shouldn't generalize to everyone. There's certainly a lot of young people who are being very responsible, but it's also the case that... Um, a lot of people are tired of the uh, social distancing and other recommendations, and um, not everyone always makes the best decisions. So do you see a distinction, though, between people making these decisions for social reasons, like I miss my friends, I'm in my youth, I'm 23, I want to go out, I want to hang out with people, and then financial situations, like maybe I was working in the hotel industry or at a restaurant or at a bar, and now I don't know what to do, and I don't have a lot of places to turn, because there's frustration both ways. Yeah, and I think that um, oftentimes people aren't so great about seeing the long-term consequences of what's going on. We think about the short-term. It's one of the reasons that diets are hard to maintain. It's hard to think about the long-term health benefits rather than the short-term goal of eating the burger. And so some of it comes down to that. But there have been other cases. Uh, I mean, you know, it's been a long time, but we did have a pandemic uh, 100 years ago. There were young people then. We've had sort of many uh, pandemics since then. Swine flu uh, was one, although it wasn't as pervasive as the coronavirus. Is it just the longevity of this one and the prospects that it's going to probably go on for many months and maybe longer than that that's causing this? Well, some of it is you think about the immediate, what you're going to do, who you're going to see, not maybe that you would catch something that would show up in two weeks or later. And so it's part of it is about thinking about not just the reward in that moment, but what is actually going to happen down the line. Can you change that mindset? I mean, I try and think back to when I was in college and I probably just thought about tomorrow also. I wasn't two, three weeks out. I wasn't years out. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing to do is think about what's immediate to you. So are you um, living or in touch with parents or relatives who could be more affected? I mean, it is true that we tend, as we're younger, to think of ourselves as more invincible, but certainly we have an impact on those around us. And I think really appealing to that is, is important. And also, I mean, I think making sure that we aren't saying all young people are like this. At, at Barnard, where we're bringing our plans to bring back about half of our campus, we have students who are really excited about sort of at, about a new community and doing the work. Um, and it's about helping all everyone feel about that collective. 
How, though, do you get the message to those young people who all the medical experts seem to now be in agreement on are primarily the demographic that is driving the resurgence of this pandemic? And there's, there seems to be very little medical question about that at the moment. How do you get that message to them that it is not only their responsibility largely, but it's also a responsibility to society at large to do the things that they find and are getting bored with, like wearing masks and like social distancing? Yeah, I mean, I think it requires a cultural change. And so everyone has to feel part of the collective. So it's not just hearing it on the news or hearing it from the government. It's got to be hearing it from those people you're closest with, your parents, your friends. The younger people have to support other people in this. If your friends are telling you to wear a mask, you're more likely to do it, I would guess, than if you're hearing it from your mayor or from the governor or from someone else. Sion Leah Bylock, president of Barnard College at Columbia University. Thanks. Will we learn our lessons when the next pandemic hits? If we're struggling with this one, what happens in the next one, especially if a new virus or bacteria is much, much deadlier? Scary. But important, Dr. Christopher Woods, Chief of Infectious Diseases, Hospital Epidemiologist, Clinical Microbiology for the Durham VA Medical Center in North Carolina. He talked about what we need to be concerned about and how soon the next bug might hit. Well, we've certainly been on the lookout for new uh, infections, and they continue to emerge. There have been uh, uh, tens of these new viruses that have emerged over the uh, last uh, several decades, and it just happens that... Uh, with COVID, we had a, a unique combination of uh, situations that led to uh, a highly transmissible virus uh, in a, um, a community that was uh, highly susceptible. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we did not contain it in its earliest uh, phases and uh, thus the, the pandemic. And it, that certainly uh, can happen again with uh, other viruses and potentially viruses that are uh, even more deadly than this one is proving to be. Well, I mean, do you think that, uh, I mean, of course, nobody wants one that's deadlier than this one, but if that were to happen, do you think that, that people, especially in this country, would perhaps, t those who are not taking this one seriously, might take that kind more seriously? Because it's hard enough getting a lot of people to wear masks and to stay six or more feet apart from one another. Uh, it, it just seems like there's this almost willful disregard of reality. Yeah, one of the great frustrations, of course, has been the, some of the the politicization of the of our public health response here and uh, that's quite unfortunate and one would hope that that wouldn't happen uh, in the future when we're facing similar situations uh, and we'll let the science guide us and one point of encouragement to everyone now is that uh, we know that uh, the, the recommended guidance of wearing masks social distancing uh, and uh, good hand hygiene, et cetera, uh, and cough hygiene, et cetera, are, are going to reduce the, 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 the ongoing uh, pandemic uh, and the speed of it. And that's beginning to happen. I actually have a very positive outlook for where things are now, and I do believe the message is getting out uh, even to our most resistant and willful group, as you alluded to. Uh, will they be more receptive to uh, a more severe uh, disease. Uh, 
we can uh, hope that that's the, the circumstance. We tend to be uh, of short memory as a species in general. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when the next one happens, we may well uh, respond uh, uh, as slowly. I hope that's not the case. There's been many lessons learned uh, and many technological advances that have happened uh, as a result of our response. And I think that will actually improve uh, the response uh, technologically in the future. Where does the next one come from? Where do you look for them? Yeah, so there are uh, a number of hotspots around the globe where we tend to keep an eye out for these new uh, viruses, and it may just be a new strain of influenza, or it may be another new coronavirus, or it may be a different uh, virus, or what we may be facing is just the emergence of more resistant bacteria. Having uh, good surveillance in those uh, areas where um, there tends to be lots of people uh, and uh, a um, reduced presence of public health and a lot of interaction with, um, with animals in particular, uh, those are places where these viruses uh, and, and more resistant bacteria tend to emerge. And so we focus our efforts there. Dr. Christopher Woods, Executive Director, the Hubert Yergin Center for Global Health at Duke University. Doctor, thanks. One segment which was amusing was when we discussed hygiene theater. You probably have seen store workers clean shopping carts after every use. Well, maybe you notice family members cleaning more. And maybe you've stocked up on Comet and Mr. Clean. I remember that, Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. Well, uh, it may all be pointless. You know what I like is the yeah. buckets of pens. Like, here's the clean pens, here's the dirty <laughs> pens. I'm like, I'm going to sanitize myself anyways. But yeah. Derek Thompson, writer at The Atlantic, he has a column called Hygiene Theater is a Huge Waste of Time. So we asked him, why are we doing all of this right now? And I do think it's important probably to uh, distinguish between sort of individual hygiene and what I call hygiene theater. Uh, I think you said that beautifully. Uh Based on the science, uh, this disease spreads through what are called large droplets, uh, which are not actually that large. It means the droplets that come from, like, sneezing and coughing, or aerosolized droplets, like the spray that comes from a conversation, and those droplets tend to linger into the air and get into our nose and mouth. Um, This disease does not seem to spread nearly as often from surfaces, which are sometimes called fomites. Um, Now, if someone wants to wash their hands a lot in the middle of a plague, I'm definitely not going to tell them, don't wash your hands in the middle of a plague. Like, by all means, wash your hands. It's a plague. At the same time, I think you need to have some sense of priority when you're determining how you're going to go about your life and what you're going to focus on. Um, People can only remember so many things at once. And so if they are going to remember three things, I'd prefer that they remember masks, distancing and move activities outside as much as possible rather than focus so much on surfaces. So that's individuals. When you, when you get to companies, institutions, I do think that sometimes they're wasting scarce resources on these on like antiseptic weaponry that is sometimes doing absolutely nothing to keep us safe and is sometimes actually putting us in danger because if you're a you know, restaurant or a gym and you're saying, hey, everyone, come on inside. It's okay because they scrubbed the table. Well, you've done nothing to prevent an airborne virus from uh, well, spreading between people. Well, All you've done is soap down a table. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm interesting you should mention that. So here in the studio, I'm just kind of looking at our arsenal. Sitting next to me, I've got a small bottle of Germex, a large canister of Purell wipes, and another canister of, uh, what is this, Clorox uh, hydrogen peroxide wipes. And, Mike, you've got, what, 
I only have the green bottle. I don't have the blue. What, You've the, got more than me. What's in the green bottle? The same as you. It's See, the, oh, it's the other thing. Yeah. Are we overprepared? <laughs> are you overprepared? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the answer is probably yes. You are probably overprepared. I think being overprepared during a pandemic is not the worst thing in the world. Um, I, I hold a, a, a different level of, uh, uh, of what should I say, disrespect for you know individual overpreparedness and institutional overpreparedness. So, for example, again, if someone wants to wipe down their counters with seven Lysols a day, I think that's frankly a waste of time in all likelihood. Um, but if it doesn't take away from more important activities like you know looking after their children or feeding the dog, I don't have a huge problem with it. What I have a problem with and what I call hygiene theater are these institutions and these companies that tell patrons it's okay to engage in this unsafe activity because we have Purell, because we have Lysol. No, that hand sanitizer and those Lysol wipes are going to do nothing to prevent people from sneezing into each other. So I think it's just really important that when we think about these institutions and these restaurants and how to keep them safe, or really sometimes just not to open them at all, that we focus on how this disease actually spreads. You point out the large and small droplets, not mostly through surfaces. You point out the subway system in New York, right? Shutting down so they can go and decontaminate all the cars. Good to clean, but you were saying in the article that maybe instead of having hand sanitizer and wipes and everything, that you should be having mask dispensers. Put the money towards that because there's only so much money for a system. So mask everybody up when they're riding, and that's a much safer way to do things. Yeah. I mean, you look at a place like Japan, which, you know, might be the only city in the world more famous for its extremely busy subway than New York City. Uh, They have found, based on their contact tracing uh, investigations, that there have been basically no outbreaks on their subways. How could that possibly be? Well, it's because you have close to 100% mask wearing uh, in Tokyo. And as a result, you have a lot of people that aren't talking on the train. They're wearing their masks. They're not sneezing into each other's faces. They're not coughing into each other's faces. They're not licking the subway poles. And as a result, lo and behold, they're not contracting COVID-19. It's very likely that if people in New York do the exact same thing, wear masks, don't talk, don't sneeze, don't cough into people's faces, that you don't need to take the subway offline for four or five hours a night, deprive thousands of people of public transit just because you want to, you know, spray some, I don't even, what what do they even call it, antimicrobial blasts at the poles and the the (laughs) chairs and the walls. And this is just a total waste of $100 million at a time when the subway is running a deficit. So that is hygiene theater. That is a terrible allocation of resources and a terrible way to communicate to the public the priorities of this pandemic. Derek, what do you do at home? I, I wash my hands frequently, and that's about it. We don't wash our um, our groceries. We don't, you know, uh, walk around with gloves. Uh, we, yeah, we we. I don't think we have any Lysol left. Uh, we wash our hands relatively frequently. Um, we, when we're out in public, we don't immediately stick our fingers in our mouth. Um, and uh, <laughs> you don't lick anything, like the light pole, and, or and, yeah. and we and we don't right, and we and we don't go into uh, restaurants. We don't we don't spend any time in uh, in indoor spaces, especially those that are unventilated. Um, whenever, even if, if we have dinner with close friends that are in our like isolation bubble or isolation unit, I guess as they're calling it, we have dinner um, outside with them. So. Um, it, it, it goes back to the, what I said at the beginning, masks, distancing, and all the activities that you know and love to do um, inside, do it outside as much as possible. But when you're in the store and you see a Purell bottle, do you still think, maybe I should get one just in case? 
you know. You know, I, I, I don't. I've never really, I've never really, this is, we're getting into my personal preferences here, but I've never really liked the smell of Purell at all. Uh, so I, I would much prefer to use ordinary soap and just do a, a nice warm hand clean than a, um, than, than spray, you know, you know alcohol in my hand. <laughs> this, this program brought to you by Purell. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. We have it everywhere. Yeah. Oh. All right. Derek Thompson from The Atlantic. Derek, thanks so much. Many people have skipped traveling lately, but there are those who still have taken trips out of town, and that doesn't sit well with some other folks. The travel police have been giving people grief on social media when they end up posting those vacation photos. Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com, talks to WBBM's Cisco Okoto about travel shaming. I think a lot of this has to do with the traditional sense that people don't like you, anyone, boasting about travel they can't do. Uh, Remember back in the days when you'd have to sit through somebody's travel slides, and part of it was a reminder that you couldn't go there, but they've been. So there's part of that. I think the other part of it is simply you you just mentioned how the market is mixed. you know, if you're in the market deep, you're doing pretty well. But if you're most of the rest of America, you're not doing well financially. So the same thing with travel. How dare you travel when the country's got a pandemic, when I'm not making money? Um, and, you know, you can list the endless list. The wise, of course, might be to be one, don't be on social media. Or two, if you do go on vacation, don't boast about it. Yeah, just don't put it on social media because you're going to get people who are upset about it. Uh, whether they should be or not is another story. Uh, talk about traveling, given the fact that I, I know here in Chicago, it seems like every week you have states moving in and off of quarantine lists. It's, it's difficult to even keep any of it straight. Well, you know, at, at Joe sent me, we've put something up that's free. You just have to click on our coronavirus page. We're trying to link to every state's rules. But I'll give you a perfect example. I live in New York. We have family and friends in Hawaii. For us to visit Hawaii, when we go to Hawaii, we would have to do a 14-day preventative lockdown before we could leave our hotel room or condo. And then, you know, maybe we could go be up with our friends. And then when we return to New York, because Hawaii is on the do not travel list, we would have to lock down in our house for 14 more days on our return. Trust me, Cisco, I love everyone. I don't love anyone enough to be in quarantine for 28 days in order to see them. Yeah, and then your whole trip in between, right? I mean, you get the first two weeks of quarantine, then you actually get to enjoy yourself, and then you quarantine two weeks on the backside. Uh, That's something I'm sure people are bringing up online, too, as people are posting pictures of themselves on the beach. Well, exactly. The point being is, you know, I'm not one of those people who are deep in the market and own lots of Amazon.com, so I can't afford to sit in a hotel room in Hawaii for 14 days and do nothing. It ain't even with very low occupancy in Hawaii right now, as in so many places. You know, it's just not a practical thing. So, again, this all adds up to, okay, for whatever reason you were able to go somewhere and the rest of your friends and neighbors aren't, maybe just cool out a bit on it and, you know, don't push the point. Because, frankly, Cisco, it's going to be months, maybe even years, before the average American is going to be able to get back on the road. The signs are not good, both health-wise and financially, as well as the state of the travel industry. Well, and the challenge here, if you can afford to travel, whatever your situation is, if you are able to do it, I mean, the deals are just amazing, whether it's flights or hotels, because no one's traveling. If you can do it, now really is a good time, at least financially. 
Financially, absolutely. Although, let's be fair about what you will get when you travel there. Let's say you want to come to New York. Okay, I'll leave Chicago out of it because everybody knows what's going on in Chicagoland in Chicago. But let's say you want to come to New York. If you wanted to come to that glorious hotel you've always heard of, that glorious hotel's restaurants won't be open. They won't be doing food service. You can't go to the bar. Okay, in fact, in New York City, you cannot even eat or drink anywhere indoors. Okay, and when you get to the rest of the city, again, there's no indoor dining. Many museums are closed. So unless you're prepared to go to someplace and sit on the beach, and that's all you want is to sit on a beach, that's basically the only vacation you can have right now that's still the same. And even then, after you're coming off the beach, don't be expecting to go to a good restaurant. Yeah, it's you're right. It is going to be very different for quite a while. Thank you, Joe Brancatelli. He's editor and publisher at JoeSentMe.com. If you want a coronavirus vaccine, you can always head to Russia. It approved a vaccine last month, even before phase three trials had finished. Now, phase three trials can confirm whether the vaccine really does prevent people from getting sick. A study in the medical journal The Lancet finds the vaccine tested and developed in Russia produced neutralizing antibodies in dozens of study subjects. And while the vaccine often caused side effects such as fever, those side effects were mostly mild. Researchers also say outcomes from the trials suggest the vaccines also produce a T-cell response, which help fight off viruses. Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Find us there.